really well. I am in that phase that you've now been through twice, um, which is the final <laughs> draft before sending off to pitch. Fantastic. What are you? What are you doing? This is the book about the Youth Cup. Oh, very nice. The, amazingly, it reached the fourth round. It was Watford Chelsea. And Chelsea should have been out of sight, but they very nicely let Watford back in it. And then Harvey Vale scored a wonderful goal after extra time. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> so Chelsea will get lots of airing. Chelsea did beat Watford, and you can read that in From Kids to Champions, uh, which is my book that is out in May. By the time that comes out, Abdullah Abdullah, you'll have had two out, and they are sitting comfortably in the football library. I raced through Europe's Next Powerhouse... The Evolution of Chelsea under Emma Hayes, uh, which came out here. Because you're abroad, have you been able to touch one of the copies of your book? Have they reached you yet? No, actually, that, the weird thing is a couple of people who I know have pre-ordered it here, they've got it before I have. So, yes, I was lucky enough today at work with some one of my colleagues had ordered it and I managed to see it for the first time and, and actually look, and look through it. So it was, it was quite a good feeling. I don't imagine it gets old. I know you had all the feelings last year when your Leon book came out. Uh, absolutely doesn't. I mean, it's, it's just a feeling of, of, of getting it new and holding it in your hands and kind of seeing my name again on the cover. It's, a, it's an unbelievable feeling. I could probably do it five more times and I'll probably feel the same way each time. Well, I don't know where you're going to go next because Barcelona, as we discussed last time, I'm not going to rub it in, but it was really quite, quite irritating for all concerned. Not least Emma Hayes, who thought she'd have got a band of players who could take a game to Barcelona. Uh, but it was one of those, please make it stop before it gets really quite horrible. I mean, it must be nice because since then Barcelona have imploded and the men's team have had to sell off their best player. Of course. I mean, the men's team have uh, have kind of done their thing. And I, and I guess it's, it's the women's turn to kind of take over the mantle of being, you know, one of the top clubs, if not the best club in the world. So I guess it's someone in Barcelona, you know, uh, pulling the shift and uh, and taking things, uh, you know, by the scruff of the neck. And you do uh, talk about Barcelona in, in this book, predominantly Chelsea, but you can't have one football team. Uh, we'll go through the cast of characters, I think, yeah, probably in the first half. But before I forget anything, I want to go, and if I don't go, I'll be following it, to the Continental Cup semi-final, uh, which is next week uh, as we talk and this week as it goes out. Uh, did Chelsea have a big chance against the informed Manchester United? Uh, I, I think they do. I think I think uh, it's maybe not as big of a chance as, as maybe you'd think before. Maybe as clear cut, rather, if I could say. But uh, you know, United have really uh, improved their uh, their form lately, and I think it's coming together for Mark Skinner's team. But um, you'd expect Chelsea to be able to see it through. But you know, I, I wouldn't rule out Manchester United just because of you know the way things are going for both teams right now. Will Hannah Blundell play for United? I would assume, I would think so, and I would think that she'd have a, a point to prove because I think she's shown that you know she still has a lot to offer as a fullback, and as it's well publicly been uh, you know documented that you know Chelsea are looking uh, for a fullback, and you know a certain Hannah Blundell might have been very useful right now. Yeah, I didn't realise that she. I know Lauren James had gone to Chelsea because it makes sense what with Reese being there, but I didn't realise Hannah went the wrong way. Lauren hasn't really played this year. 
No, she hasn't. Uh, if I'm not wrong, it's, it's actually to do with a, with a with an injury she had while she was, you know, towards the tail end of last season at United. So she kind of carried that forward into Chelsea, and um, there's been a period of rehab and, and rehabilitation. Um, but I think at the same time, Emma's the kind of uh, manager who likes to really um, let their young players settle in first and, and give them the odd minutes here and there. But I think with Lauren James, it's more of a, a managing her injury, and it seems to be a very long term. Uh, injury, so we'll, we'll have to wait and see if she plays a, a bigger part for the for the second half of the season. But um, I mean, predominantly in the past, this is how we've seen it. Jesse Fleming was the you know was was a similar case. Yep, Jesse Fleming does get a mention towards the end of your book. There is a sentence. I don't know if you realise you've done this, but you say near the end of the book, as with any good football team, you start from the back, or you say as with anything in football. Just remind me where you start your book. If, if I remember correctly, I kind of start all the way back with, with Emma Hayes' history and, and kind of what it is, you know, how she started her career and, yeah. and kind of worked her way towards Chelsea and, and, and became the manager that she is today. But then instead of going for Anne-Catherine Berger in the defence, you leap to the attack. Is that because it's easy to start with the people who are scoring the goals and winning the prizes? That's a very, very good point. I think I started with it because I wanted to, I actually did deliberately do it. I wanted to go, instead of going from back to front, I wanted to actually go from top to bottom and kind of show a progression of, of how it is that they attack to defend because I think this Chelsea side, if there's anything that has stood out with them and that they've probably been known for the, uh, in the last 18 months is um, is their attack. I mean, their attacking lineup is probably their most well, half of the most well-known players and it's kind of the arguably the uh, you know the the trio and and the front three have arguably been their their best players, so it was fitting to start with uh, with you know at least one of the attackers and then how they play. And it's wonderful. It's a it's a really good tale. I get more of a foothold on the players than with the Leon book purely because I'm a Londoner and I've seen Chelsea's players in the flesh. I think I first saw Chelsea. It must have been 2014 or 2015. So I remember G So Yoon. I remember seeing some Japanese fans or even journalists being at Kings Meadow. Uh, and I wonder if G will play. Uh, after all, uh, Chelsea did massacre Manchester United 6-1 earlier in the season. And Chelsea have not lost at home. I think at all. I think even in Europe, Chelsea are going for an unbeaten season at Kings Meadow. So there's definitely a fortress there. Um, have you been able to watch the games on Chelsea Telly from over there? They're, they're actually up on the FA player. So for me, uh, being out here, the FA player kind of shows me all of the, uh, at least the FA WSL games for free on a, on a weekly basis. So I'm able to catch not just Chelsea, but kind of every other team in the league. And um, uh, Champions League is probably a little bit harder to, to get a hold of out here, but at least the WSL and the Cup games, I'm able to watch it quite easily. So that is very useful for your, well... I was listening to Michael Richards on the radio last night. He's everywhere. Um, would it be unfair to say you are also everywhere? I mean, I'm, 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 I'm looking to be. I mean, that's, that's kind of the way it is right now. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm here. I'm on, I'm on the Londoners Blue podcast. I'm on the Box to Box WSL podcast. So probably on a weekly basis, is that I, my, my voices are on the airwaves uh, quite a bit. It is nice. And I got you first. I got you even before the Substack launch, pressing, pressing matters, isn't it? The weekly free yes, Substack yes. to which you can subscribe. Do you get a dialogue with the readers and with the listeners? Have you got people contacting you at Kuna Abd regularly? I, I do. 
it's it's yeah. it's weird. I mean, it sometimes it happens in spurts where I'll get a, a few messages here and there, people asking, you know, a different. You know, I'll get asked for questions. You know, the odd podcast appearance. Uh, you know, people will be asking about Leon. People will be asking about Champions League. People will be asking about Chelsea. Um, so it's it's quite nice to be able to interact with everybody and kind of answer. Um, you know, whether it's questions or, or just kind of just maybe, you know, generally just have a conversation with some people on, on, on the game. Um, it's, it's there. I remember someone messaged me one day saying, Hey, listen, um, I have this tactical question I'd love for you to be able to answer and tell me what you think. And, and I, I went to, into, convers- into a conversation with them. So, yeah, I, I do get the odd message here and there. It is wonderful to see this regularity in stats pundits. The BBC have a guy called Statman Dave, and there's a serious contingent of critics who think that having a statistical analyst helping to report on games as they happen, that could be the next step. If if you were asked to do that, possibly at Chelsea Women's Games, since you have literally written the book, Europe's Next Powerhouse, question mark, Evolution of Chelsea under Emma Hayes, which is 12 on pitch, on paperback, you can get it online as well. If you were asked to provide in-game analysis to the audience... Uh, you'd obviously take it. It's a stupid question. But what would be the kind of thing that you would say in between the calls on the game that the commentator is doing? You know, that's a good question. I mean, I think um, I think the one thing that a lot of people like to, to listen to is not just the tactically what's going on in the game, but I think what I would also like to add is kind of maybe give an explanation as to why uh, certain things are happening. So, you know, it's very easy to say, well, Chelsea are playing in, in a 3-4-3 formation and, and you know, and, and the wing backs are, are flying high, but then kind of giving people that understanding in between by saying, you know, well, the wing backs are, are pushing up because, you know, they, they, they uh, that's, that's, you know, they, they like to build up on the left-hand side and, you know, they've spotted a weakness in the opposition right back in centre midfield and, you know, kind of just give those, those you know, a little bit more detail in terms of um, why it is that things are happening on the pitch because, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's all about the why. That's the title of the next book, or The Secrets of Football <laughs> Analysis. Because what I loved about Jamie Carragher's book, Greatest Games, which came out at the end of 2020, is that the pro was becoming the, anal- the analyst. It wasn't like, yeah, we turn up and we beat them. It was the why. Absolutely the why. And I wonder if you were following the love from the football industry at large for the great Emma Hayes, soon to be Dame Emma Hayes. If we start calling her Dame Emma then it will happen. But she was all over TV. Uh, She was ITV's chief uh, summariser for the Euro. You won't believe the amount of sense that she talked and the applause that she got uh, from the football fraternity, which is no surprise given what you write in your book. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, Emma's Emma's really, you know, come up, come through this season, especially at the Euros, being on ITV and and, and giving that punditry. I think that was what... I, I think, I mean, while she was already in the public eye, I think that move just really um, cemented her reputation, even enhanced it. And I think a lot more people got to really understand and see uh, who is uh, who Emma Hayes is and, and kind of the level of tactical detail that she goes into and then, you know, and the mind that she has and you know, people got a glimpse into it. There's a book called Football She Wrote, which came out on Floodlit Dreams uh, at the, in the middle of last year. And the opening chapter is, I think, Susie Rack on Emma Hayes and Susie gets the forward it gets the assist in your book uh, you're aware Susie's got a book coming out this summer absolutely uh, yes yeah, you know uh, I'm, I'm excited to see, I'm excited to read it you know we, we had a couple of conversations on that as well and uh, 
Susie was great. I mean, I, the, the level of insight she gave me even before the Ford, just on Emma Hayes, obviously because she's spoken to her, was was kind of unparalleled. And obviously there was nobody else I was kind of going to turn to except for Susie and and both for you know understanding what it is about Emma Hayes that makes her Emma Hayes, and and second of all to, to write the Ford. So I thought it was just a fitting uh, a fitting match. It's very very good, even though you're opposite ends of the alphabet because you're an a and she's a w so your books will never meet but yes your two books and then Susie's book will be in the football library i haven't listened back to our chat about leon where we also talked about chelsea so i can't remember who's on your football library card uh but you have used it in order to enter the library have you read anything great in the last six months uh yeah actually um probably not in women's football but more to do with men's football there is a book called revitalizing real madrid by uh scott martin he's another analyst uh talking about the real madrid men's team uh absolutely phenomenal uh book you know with so much detail um uh, that's uh, that's packed into it about you know the eras across Zinedine zidane and how he's um he, he won three champions leagues uh with with that with that squad so that was probably one that that stood out to me was the summary give the ball to Modric? <laughs> I think it was a little bit more than just give the ball to Modric, uh, <laughs> but I, 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 I believe that was a, a major part of, of how they played, along with Tony Cruz and, and, and Karim Benzema. Yeah, cross crossing Modric to the best players. It's just a shame they're at Real Madrid. I try and I'm very uninterested by La Liga, and yet La Liga is as open as it ever was at the moment. So maybe I'll come back yeah. into it. Uh, in the Spanish Women's League, a Barcelona way, way ahead at the moment of Atletico. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Barcelona are just, you know, uh, relentless. They they just, they, I mean, they're scoring for fun. Their, their team is full of, uh, you know, superstars and, and ones that, uh, you know, I don't think you can, you can kind of say enough about. Um, you could probably give all the individual awards to, uh, to them. And, uh, and at the end of, at the end of the day, I mean, they're, they're still going to be in uh, an argument about, you know, whether this player should have taken it from Barcelona or that player should have taken it from Barcelona. But, you know, unbelievable team you know my, my full respect to them and, and and you know you just you can't but help but be in awe of, of the football they play one thing that you don't get in the women's game that we're getting in the men's uh, side are bottles being chucked flares being chucked fans raiding the pitch so telling people to sack the board women's football is more well placed than ever to capture some of the men's fans are you getting the sense that people are turning their back on the men's game or are people looking more to the women's game but keeping an eye on the men's game? I would say it's the latter. I think I think the men's game, in terms of popularity, I think it's still there. I think, yes, there is that problem of, um, you know, like you said, the flares and the bottles being thrown. And I think there is a, a small minority who are, who are causing issues for, for, for the rest of us. But I think, um, I think, I think the, the visibility and, and, and the uh, level of... Um, yeah, quality in, in the women's game is improving so I think a lot of people are not just obviously still focused are looking at the men's game but I think they're also casting an eye on the women's game and you know teams like Barcelona Lyon Chelsea and and you know Wolfsburg etc I think they're in each of their respective countries I think are starting to, to garner more eyeballs because I think a lot more people are talking about them I mean just take Barcelona for example the men's team are doing 
um, they, 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 they've not had a good couple of years. And, and because their women's team is just doing so well, obviously they won the Champions League. I know that a lot of Barcelona influencers and a lot of Barcelona analysts and writers are now starting to give them a little bit more exposure, which I think is then pushing it to the wider space. And I think everybody in their own... Uh, team space, space is, is kind of pushing the women's teams um, I, and I know there's a huge push from you know on the Chelsea side there's a huge push on the Arsenal side Manchester City Manchester United obviously we said Barcelona Lyon so um, you know in some cases some of the women's teams are better than the, than, than the men's teams I mean you look at Lyon and Barcelona right now I think those two are quite possibly leagues ahead of their, their, their male counterparts so mm-hmm. it's definitely creeping up in, in popularity Hey, you're talking to a Watford fan. Even though the women are second from bottom of the second tier, no one is saying, God, we should be performing better. Since we've spoken, Watford have already gone through Shishko Munoz and Claudio Ranieri. Roy Hodgson is rumoured, as we speak, to take the job. His assistant, Ray Lewington, was involved as a coach in the, at the beginning of the 2000s. I still think Roy Hodgson's just doing Elton John a favour. Uh, allegedly, I don't think I don't think he likes the Potsos. I think he's just told out, "Look, sodding, get our club in the division. I'll give you free tickets to my concerts." Talking of concerts, um, what are what are outdoor arrangements like where you are? Can you enjoy yourself now, or is it still locked down? No, no, we we can we can generally enjoy ourselves, but you know it's it's still uh, a bit of social distancing and, and masks up and and all that. So, so I think there is still a, a level of care that is required out here, but you know there is um, but we can still go outside and meet people, go to restaurants. So I'm pretty thankful for that. We spoke in summer uh, when your Leon book came out and now your Chelsea book has come out the plan was to come to London in the UK for the Euros is that still going to happen yes Yes. I mean I'd love to I've already got tickets for the final and one of the quarterfinals so I've kind of you know committed it's coming through by by picking up those tickets so uh, the idea is to see how things are obviously in the summer but uh, yeah, I think obviously the Euros are in July, so I think in in May, planning will go full steam ahead. If you know, if all goes through, and yeah, my plan is to come into London and, and then watch the games and meet all the people that I've been speaking to over the the Twitter sphere. And um, before we dip into the book properly, Europe's next powerhouse, Evolution of Chelsea under Emma Hayes. We must mention some of these people. I was going to copy what you did and just do a kind of roll call of the people who are in this women's soccer community because there's a lot of you and I wish I uh, could because I've been doing my book I have taken my eye off the ball and because I've all into the youth cup but the box to box WSL podcast with Alexia as you call her and Jesse and then London is blue with Nick Brandon and Dom I mean if they're all based in England you could stay with all of them over summer (laughs) yeah I know I mean uh, the guys from London and Blue are based in the US but Alex and uh, Alex and Jesse are in, are in are in the UK in London and Brighton so uh, it'll be it'll be exciting to meet them for the first time after having you know done a podcast with them for like uh, consistently for like a year mm. um, but those two have been fantastic I mean uh, probably my my journey into the podcasting tactics realm was 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 with them we, we did a webinar uh, in November of 2020 and that was kind of our first foray 
way into working together. And then uh, uh, in February, I remember Alex giving me a text saying that, hey, listen, I'm, I'm reviving my podcast with Jesse. Do you, do you want in? And I said, yeah, sure. Why not? And then we just took it from there. And, and now, you know, it's, it's been doing decently well. So very, very happy to, to know those two and, and immense respect to both of them. From the little I've heard, it's a very warm show that lets the listeners in. Have you learned anything from them that you put into your own work? Oh, so much so, so much. I mean, I mean, if there's somebody else that I would say that probably has a, a lot more knowledge on, on the Chelsea women's uh, team and Chelsea in general, it's Jesse and just I think her views on, on, on the team and, and kind of her perspective is very refreshing. And um, every time I, I do a podcast or I speak to Jesse, it's... Um, it's it's I learned something new. So I mean, there's a level of of, of, of a different perspective that I take from Jesse. Alex is, is is an excellent analyst as well. I mean, Alex covers Barcelona very very uh, uh, strongly, and she has really good views across different teams in Europe as well. Um, so whenever I do talk to to Alex, it's it's a very very good conversation, and you know I get to learn about Barcelona a lot more and kind of how they play, and 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 you know it just it's just from both of them. There's always something new to learn about. So again, I can I can I can lax lyrical about them for for probably like the next hour. <laughs> I was so keen to get you to mention them that we could have, but just because there's there's your book that we're trying to sell, it's very tough. I would imagine that when you present your book to a Chelsea fan like Jesse, it's very similar to when a great British Bake Off contestant, I hope you get the analogy, presents one of their cakes or breads to Prue Leith or Paul Hollywood and is kind of waiting with bated breath. So did you get the equivalent of the Paul Hollywood handshake when uh, Jesse fed back to you? I, I, I kind of did. We, we had a we had a quick conversation yesterday on uh, on the on the book, and, and Jesse did have a quick scan through. I'm, I'm waiting for the full review uh, that I, that I should be getting very very soon. But uh, the initial reactions from both Jesse and and Alex as well was was just uh, was of delight, and um, you know they absolutely loved uh, the first impressions of the book. So I mean, for me, I'm, I, that's it. I mean, that was that was a huge uh, sigh of relief that my peers are you know they they, they liked it. I was so disappointed in myself that I hadn't heard of the lady who goes by Maram Per 90. I now know what a Per 90 is because it comes up in these metrics we're going to talk about. But uh, another assist from Maram who um, provides some of her graphs. Um, this, I think they're the ones that show the pass frequency and the thicker the line, the greater the pass frequency. Yes, yes, yes. You're absolutely right. Uh, Maram was was a huge. She had a few pass maps, and she had a few, uh, you know, a few other graphs like XG trend lines. And, and Maram was fantastic. I mean, she's she's obviously known as a Manchester United men's fan, and then she actually made her name doing uh, these 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 data visualizations that really have stood out because of their incredible design, but also because of their, um, you know, the information that they give. And, and Maram's really found a style that 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 works for her, and and, and people have really really liked it and enjoyed it. Um, and you know, I just I just sent her a message saying, "Hey, listen, I'd would love to have the chance to work with you." And and you know, we, we had a couple of conversations, and then you know, she she came through with that. So I was supremely happy with that. And I really wanted to bring through a couple of uh, you know data viz uh, you know uh, people from 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 the sphere and 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 really you know showcase their work as well. So um, and I wanted to bring more data into this than I did in the last book. So absolutely fantastic work from her. I think it is, um, well, the term is synecdoche, which means the part for the whole. And what you've done is you have imitated what Emma Hayes does. And here is a quote from the book. Um, the, the, 
she drills the role required into the player until they perfect it. It is system specific. So you've used you've used people's talents to tell the story of a Chelsea team who deserve attention, not just because of the strikers, but throughout the team. Before we go any further, we've got to talk about the word that I learned from this book, which is underload. Yes. If I can really put it in, in as plain terms as possible, an underload is basically when you are trying to... So if you're overloading one side, the complete opposite is an underload, where there's like less players where you actually have more space to work into and, and kind of work. So a lot of the times in this Chelsea team, they would like to overload one side and get more players to kind of you know, overload and, and overpower uh, players on one side. And that will then force the opposition team to move towards that side. And then that automatically creates an underload on the opposite side. So the ball would be shifted from, from say, the left to the right. And then you'd have someone like Fran Kirby in, in acres of space to, to be able to do her thing. So that's the underload. I'd like to ask you about the half space, which sounds like a German phrase transliterated. So in that football is about spaces... It seems to me, having read this book, that it's actually about the half spaces. Is that something to do with between the lines? It is actually. It is from a from a German term, which basically what they like to use is it's it's the it's it's come not exactly between the lines, but basically between. So you've got the wide area. Say, let's say, look at the right hand side. You have the wide area, and then you have the interior, uh, the the central area. The half space is literally the area between these two. So basically, just uh, on the edge of the 18-yard box, but not outside of it, but not too inside of it. So just in that sweet spot in between is, is probably where you, you'd call the half space and ah, where everybody operates. I know this. Eureka, because when I was reading about Robin and Ribery at Bayern Munich, there, it was I think it was a piece in 4-4-2, actually. And they were explaining what Guardiola was going to do at Man City with Sterling and Zane or Mares, And that's the half space. So at Chelsea, yes. you have the two wide players who are what, Hader and Kirby, hitting those half spaces. Yes, exactly. Yeah. If you divide a football pitch into zones, why do we care so much? And why was this morning Zone 14 mentioned in a newspaper uh, article that I read? Why Zone 14? So zone 14, I guess, is, is one of those terms where people, when they, when they divide the zones and the pitch into zones, I think there are so many zones on the pitch that nobody really uh, knows or, or remembers what the other zones are called. But I think zone 14 has just become so synonymous with the, the footballing game because it's just that space just outside of the 18-yard box that is so... Uh, pivotal to the way teams play because whether whether uh, possession is, is being transferred through there, whether uh, you know that's kind of the position where defensive midfielders kind of come into their own in terms of having to stop uh, attacking midfielders or number tens in that area. Number tens really use that space to their advantage, so it's 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 kind of like the half space and the zone 14 are obviously right next to each other. So that entire, if you can imagine that line uh, uh, horizontally across becomes uh, probably one of the more well-known uh, spaces in, in football, where if you just talk about the half space or zone 14, that's people can't instantly know what you're talking about. But if you ask them for a zone number that's in different areas of the pitch, it becomes a little bit more uh, of something you have to think about. It, and it's absolutely right. At this Chelsea-Watford game I went to for the Youth Cup, we're not going to remind ourselves that Chelsea won 3-2 because ultimately, I mean, there were five Watford players getting treatment for cramp just before extra time and Lewis Hall was oh, wow. on the pitch for Chelsea. Lewis Hall, by the way, my new favourite player. Looks like he's been unfrozen from the 1930s and I'm so pleased that A, I spotted him in the third round and B, that he made his full debut. 
Um, did you watch the Chelsea Chesterfield game? I did, I did, uh, and I, I really did. I believe that was my first time watching Lewis Hall, and I thought he was absolutely fantastic, especially playing in a position that he's not usually yeah. playing for in, in the youth setup. So that was that was absolutely fantastic. Maybe he asked Miss um, Mielder for some help, but we'll get to her shortly. But yeah, he um, he made this one-two for one of the goals in the third round, and I stood up and just thought that's one of the best moves I've ever seen because he passed it off pelted 60 yards and got on the end of a 1-2, which was sublime. And he's only about 17, 18. But in yeah. the second Chelsea goal against Watford, Watford lost the ball in zone 14. They got a bit of luck, but um, the ball came out. Watford had committed all the players forwards. Three Chelsea players were ahead of the ball and behind the halfway line, so they were all on side, and Chelsea played the percentages and scored. So that's just to illustrate that that zone... This is what the, new, the newspaper article was saying. If you lose the ball in the opposition's D, which is around zone 14, that's not satisfactory because I, I guess you've committed so many players forward that a team can counter. And it's to just a segue from that, you say that Chelsea are now possession-based rather than counter-attack-based. Do you have evidence for this? and the data to support uh, this statement? I probably do. Maybe not on hand right now because it's, it's been a... It, obviously, it's been a little while since I've seen the uh, I've seen the data and the books. But, I mean, just from a, from a, from a visual sense, and if I can just give you a quick overview, like, um, you know, before when Chelsea were playing a 4-4-2 or a 4-2-3-1 a couple of years ago, uh, even up until uh, the pandemic season when it started, was, you know, Chelsea were a lot more... Uh, off the ball, if I remember correctly, the possession stats were a lot lower than compared to what they are this year, uh, relatively speaking. And, and and Chelsea really used the pace of like uh, Bath England and Fran Kirby as as two strikers up front, and obviously they had players like Guru Wright and, and others who were supplementing them for pace in the wide areas. Um, so kind of that four four two really really worked well in terms of a counter attacking style. They used it against you know big Champions League opposition like uh, Leon, who obviously are a very heavy dominant possession team and. You know, there was that um, Champions League uh, semi-final or, or quarter-final, if I remember correctly, a couple of years ago, where where they really um, they really tried to uh, to counter Leon. So they they did that, that they did that, and then once they started bringing in the likes of Sam Kern and especially Penny Lahada and Melanie Loipels, um, I think uh, Emma Hayes decided that okay, she had the players now that you know could really control the ball, control dictate play, and and really use. Um, you know, and really take the game to teams now because obviously now they have the players uh, to really, um, you know, compete against the best in Europe and obviously a, a Champions League final was evidence of that. Yep, and they're well on the way towards another Champions League final. Uh, a draw and a win against Juventus, a draw and a very uncharacteristic loss against Wolfsburg. Um, has the draw been made for the next round? The draw has been made. I mean, uh, I think if I'm not wrong, Juventus have been drawn against uh, Leon. Unfortunately, Chelsea will uh, will not be participating because on that last that 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 draw to to Wolfsburg kind of. Uh, I mean that that Wolfsburg game at the end was was kind of the last straw. And they they weren't able to make oh, it sorry. through, and it was Juventus. Yes, it was Juventus and Wolfsburg actually that that managed to uh, to make it through. So it was a it was a tough it was a tough group stage, uh, which I think they should have. I mean, if I'm being honest, they should have gone through, but you know, there is now the there is now the chance to focus on the league and uh, and really take it uh, take it uh, for next season. Yeah, but that's all well and good. I, I sound like a guy called Stephen Sacker on a BBC program called Hard Talk, which is 
as, as the title suggests, he asks really difficult questions. And he always says, well, I'm going to put it to you, Abdullah Abdullah, author of Europe's Next Powerhouse, The Evolution of Chelsea Under Emma Hayes. Seven wins in the first 10 games, six goals conceded, so 0.6 goals conceded per game, knocking in goals crazily, 5-0 against Birmingham, 4-0 against Manchester City. It's not helping them. It's, we're at this Celtic situation where, or Ajax, Ajax probably less so. It's all well and good Chelsea doing really well domestically if they come unstuck against Wolfsburg and Juventus away. Am I being too harsh in saying perhaps uh, they need to have better competition in uh, the domestic league so that they can win these games away in Europe? Or is that too harsh? No, 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 absolutely. I, I don't disagree with you there. I think um, I, I think it is the result of not having a uh, you know a, a very competitive league that, that that kind of doesn't help them you know compete against the Europe's best because you know you're only going to play an Arsenal or a Manchester City you know two times each a season. Um, and then four games doesn't really prepare you for the challenges ahead. And, you know, in some cases, some of those teams in, in Europe are, are even better than, than those two. So it really requires the league to step up as all. Well. But, you know, but I, I think I think this season it has it has changed where I think we are seeing um, a slight shift in a small progression towards maybe a little bit more of a progressive uh, competitive league, sorry, rather, um, where Manchester United have really stepped up their game and they're becoming, slowly becoming a force. I mean, Everton have made a lot of signings this season while they haven't had the best season at all, but I can't imagine that, you know, next season they don't come back and, you know, perform better after uh, a season with new players together. You know, equally, you, you have, uh, you, you you know, you have those three, four, five teams. It's probably, I can count like five teams teams now who yeah. could realistically be teams competing for the top three places and any three any five of them could be end up in the top three so I think it only bodes well for the league it bodes well for the you know your cities arsenals and, and Chelsea's to be able to be challenged by a couple of extra teams which means more games to play against top quality opposition and and I guess it'll it'll start to uh it'll start to you know bear fruit in the Champions League against the Wolfsburg Bayern Munich or Juventus even that was a Millie Bright of an answer. That very successfully nullified my line of attack. What is Emma Hayes better at? Tactical setup or man management? Ooh, tough question. I think it's both, obviously, because obviously I've written a whole book on her tactics, but I, I would just edge it with man management. I think the way she's been able to manage some players in, in the squad over the years and be able to keep them happy and, and give them enough playing time, I think, in the past has been has been quite uh, significant. And, and obviously we've seen it now. It's, it's, it's obviously a little bit of a tougher tougher job now with the amount of quality in the squad but I think if you are going to be successful for a top side competing for the league and Champions League you're going to need you know a quality bench and you're going to need to have to make tough decisions and and you know I've heard stories uh, from Susie and others about you know Emma just you know being able to manage personalities and egos and you know putting you know arms around shoulders and really being able to uh, you know pacify and, 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 and calm players down you know and, and give them the opportunity when it does come through so um, you know I, I, I'm not saying it's uh, it's it's the it's not the easiest job in the world at all but um, I think Emma has done a, a decently good job over the years you know what has never happened in a Chelsea men's dressing room there has never been a husband and wife in the same men's dressing room but at Chelsea there is a husband, well, wife and wife, a partnership, actually in the dressing room. 
Is right? Yes, there is. There is. Uh, if I'm not wrong, it is, it is, it is Pernilla Harder and Magdalena Eriksson. Pernilla Harder is Danish and okay. uh, Magda, Magda Eriksson is Swedish. Yes, a good distinction. How, were they a couple before Harder came to Chelsea? Yes, yes, they've been. When Harder was at Wolfsburg and, and Magda was here at Chelsea, they were, uh, they were together. And just to kind of add, there is actually one more couple in, in the side, which is goalkeeper Anne Katrenberger and uh, Jessica Carter, who are also uh, a couple in that dressing room. So you don't even have one, you've actually got two in there. I didn't know that. I didn't know yeah. that. That's unbelievable. <laughs> and big up Jess, because Anne, Anne Catherine has had some tough few years in general. And Jess is alarmingly young to have that kind of personal issue is that right it's been a great uh, it's been a great return and i think um i mean i mean this team has been uh, this team has been through some adversity but on a personal level i mean you look at i mean i think the biggest one we can talk about is fran curry yeah, right? let's I talk mean, about she, fran. she had that yeah. yeah fran with that huge uh, you know that that injury that illness that really you know i mean i mean some of the stuff that i've read is you know she was in bed and she didn't want to get out she couldn't move at times there was no energy motivation was shot you know and it was it was it was Emma Hayes who really you know helped her. She she credits Emma Hayes for bringing her back, um, you know, as almost like this 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 mother figure in her life and and, and really coaching her back slowly. So I mean, you, you look at Berger, you look at Kirby. His team has has really come through adversity, and even Mielda with this long term injury that's that's now slowly coming back. So you know, this this team kind of relies on each other. They they lean on each other, you know, in the good and the bad. And you know, when, when these injuries happen, it just kind of shows what a tight knit group that they are. It's an unbelievable group, uh, and not just in personality, but there's that stat you say that they overshot their expected goal. Right, you better, for people who don't know or don't care what that is, Chelsea scored 67 goals, but their expected goals was 57. So I think that is, they actually converted chances, which if you put statistic, raw data into a system, they actually should have scored 57 from that exact same shot across the course of the season. Yes, you're right. So basically they they created quality of chances worth 57 goals, but they actually outperformed their expected goals and scored more, which kind of, you know, uh, it kind of translates to the fact that, you know, they, uh, you know, they, they just, they were just able to put away their chances and just create these high quality chances and, and kind of overperform, which is obviously unbelievable. It's, it's obviously to be able to sustain it across the season is, is, is unbelievable. And I've just uh, cancelled down Sam Kerr scores one goal from every fourth shot and every other shot is a shot on target. 21 goals, 39 shots on target, 86 shots total. So she, whatever you say, was it the 99th percentile? So she's the second or the top? Yeah. I guess Viv Miedema is just ahead of her. Probably in that same, yeah, in yeah. that same bracket. I mean, there's not too many. So yeah, uh, Viv Miedema and, and, and Sam Kerr, probably two of the best strikers in, in the league right now. And you can obviously put them in the top three strikers in, in, in world football. So, I mean, unbelievable. I mean, I mean, you, you say that, but if you've also watched Sam, Sam Kerr play, you, you know, it's a, there's, a, there's a thing in that everybody will say that, you know, you give Sam Kerr sometimes in a game 10 chances and she might miss seven, but then she'll score you three absolutely fantastic crucial goals so um sam has volume but that she also has a a, a pretty good quality she's amazing to watch as well she's a proper athlete and uh emma hayes has liked her as well tracked her for three years would it have been just kind of phoning her up every three months just saying we're still here we're still here if you want to come got got a shirt 
got your name on it, got number 20. I mean, that's, uh, I mean, I, I can imagine that. I could, I can to some extent imagine that. Just, you know, that, that odd phone call every now and then saying, hey, Sam, how's it going? Yeah, listen, you know, I'm, I'm still around, just, just keeping you in my, keeping, you know, keeping me in your thoughts and, and things like that. No, I think, I think it's, it's one of those when I think an Emma wants a player and I think she does a really good job being able to convince them and, and really say that, you know, uh, you know, Emma, it's, you know, I want you here and kind of selling the project. So I think there must have been definitely conversations in in the past. And, and maybe, you know, when, when she did leave uh, Chicago, it was like, all right, I'm ready to come to come to Chelsea. And she was there. Another player who um, will have nightmares about what happened uh, in the middle of last year, loopholes, um, left. I didn't realise she was captain of Bayern. That is a coup to convince someone to leave Bavaria, where they're staunchly... I, I don't know if she's a local Munich girl, but she could have stayed at Munich all, all her career. Yeah, she could have. And, um, you know, she was she was doing really well there. And obviously, uh, Bayern have... Uh, last season, they, they didn't win the league, so there, there is that. But uh, I think needing a new challenge, maybe wanting a new challenge and kind of stepping up in, in her game. And I think now that we've seen you know, we've seen her here in, in Chelsea, you know, it's become one of the more important players in, in the team, and especially in midfield. And uh, especially now when the team are going through a little bit of a rough patch, you are missing that, that presence there and, and someone who can really control and dictate the, dictate the play. Yeah, they're one without a win in the league. Yeah. The two hardest games of the season at home where their unbeaten record will be tested, uh, Man City and Arsenal. So that Chelsea-Arsenal game, which is on the 13th, uh, which is match day 15 in the... Uh, in the WSL, but if, um, there'll be two other games that have been postponed recently against Spurs and Everton. I guess now they're out of the Champions League, they can focus on the league and they should be able to uh, wrap it up. But you suggest your wild card. Do you remember what your wild card is? I'm not going to lie, I don't. This is uh, Chelsea need a destroyer in the midfield and the player that you suggest is... I believe it was Erin Cuthbert. Erin Cuthbert, the wee Scottish lass. We're talking on Burns Night, by the way. Oh, wow. Cuthbert, mainstay of the Scotland international team. I suppose because Jess Carter, she started as a midfielder, she's moved back to full-back. Certainly I saw her play at centre midfield for Birmingham. Uh, Mielda plays centre-back, right-back and defensive midfield. Cuthbert can surely learn how to play a defensive midfield role from Mielda or from Lou Poles or from Drew Spence. Is, has Emma Hayes used her? Because I know you delivered the manuscript a few months ago. Has Emma Hayes used her in that position so far? She's, she's actually used her... Uh, she's actually used her in a right wing-back role this season. Obviously, in, in the book, I mean, there is a, there's a chapter where I start talking about three at the back, but um, uh, Emma Hayes has actually used Erin uh, Cuthbert as her main right wing-back. Um, but but even as a right wing back, there are tendencies for her to come inside into midfield and, and really try and stifle play out on on the right side and in kind of in the interior spaces. So to some to some extent, Erin um, is kind of carrying out a, a little bit of a role of being a, a sort of you know wing back destroyer to some extent. So I'll, I'll give myself half a point for that, um, but maybe not exactly in central midfield so, so far. There are several metrics that you use, and I wanted to finish talking about Europe's next powerhouse. Well, not, not this year, maybe 2023. The evolution of Chelsea under Emma Hayes. We'll let Barcelona win this year. Barcelona qualified, didn't they? Uh, yes, Barcelona qualified, yes. Yeah. And the sky is blue. There are certain metrics that you 
look at when you're gathering together the stats that prove a point that you're making and you do at one point say, okay, I admit stats on their own are useless, but they point towards something. So what, what the book is, is really a fine statistical model of what makes a great team that you can see with your eyes being good. Great when you look at raw data. I love the touch maps and the heat maps that you use, which show that Ji So Yoon just doesn't appear in either penalty area. Her domain is the how many yards? Sixty yards in between each penalty box. That's where she lives. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Just you know, just just sitting in that, just sitting in that area and being this this presence around and you know and doing her thing. I think you know overall, I I believe this. Um, this the midfield in Chelsea, you know, just in that, in that central area, I think is a huge. Uh, again, it's just. I mean, I, I know we say this about every position that we have here, but the quality in between uh, in every area of the pitch, I think, is is, is unparalleled. I mean, you've got like Leipold's. Uh, Sophie Ingle, uh, Ji So Yoon, uh, you know, uh, Lloyd Pauls, obviously, and Drew Spence, and, and obviously Karzik and players there as well. You've got these three, four players there. Also, we've talked about the front three, four. Um, and obviously, at the back, you've got Magda Eriksson, Mielda, Millie Bright, um, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, just, just, just the team is just, you know, stacked throughout, especially in midfield. So, there's plenty of games coming up that we can go to. Well, I can go to because they're in Kings Meadow. What metrics should I watch out for when trying to do a statistical analysis of Chelsea against, let's say, Arsenal on the thirteenth? Um, you know, you could look at uh, you could look at a couple of things. I think, obviously, like we talked about, expected goals xG. I think that's always a, a good one to look at in terms of the quality of chances versus the actual number of goals scored. So that'll probably tell you uh, whether a team was able to create more chances uh, and whatnot. And obviously, there is the. Uh, different sorts of interceptions and, and kind of duels on the pitch where they were played. You can look at uh, progressive passing uh, numbers in terms of, you know, being able to look at a team or especially especially a player and kind of understand, all right, you know, where have they started? You know, where are they actually get, progressing the ball from, whether it's through a pass, whether it's through a run. And then you can kind of uh, deduce where it is that the team likes to play out from and where their uh, playmakers are. You know, I put, put those two in there. You know, I think I think off the top of my head, that would be you know those would be some very good starting points in terms of trying to figure out creativity and probably also trying to figure out effectiveness in in, in front of goal. And uh, you can also look at you know xG conceded, which is basically defensively how many attacks quality of attacks that they give away and how well they're defended so you can always look at that in the same way you would look at xg so those are all the things you look at during a game and when you're making an analysis do you have a pre-written chart like the kind of match stats that appear at ua for half time and full times uh, I don't. I don't exactly uh, note them down uh, during the game. I'll maybe I'll keep a mental note in terms of what I think I see, and and then kind of at the end of the at the end of the game when all the stats are released, I kind of um, compare you know mentally what I have uh, in terms of what I thought was happening on the pitch, and compare to the final result, and then kind of see if whether my my analysis of what I was looking at in the game. Is was similar to what I you know what we saw on the pitch and what the actual uh, stats were, and then kind of the, the beauty of stats is you know if you think that the xG just as a as a number because xG is kind of very um, it's a very loose and probably even 
to some extent subjective, even though it is an objective, to some extent, uh, way of uh, looking at how chance is created. But um, you can almost in your head think, oh, you know, well, I could probably put the XG down to, say, let's say 1.2 or something like that, right? And at the end of the day, if you see an XG of less or more, it's it's very it's very fascinating to then deduce and, and kind of figure out, okay, why was it higher or lower than what I was expecting? And then you really then start thinking about the game and start going back and, and analyzing, okay, how, what were the chances, what were the quality of chances, and you can bring reasons behind it, and that's kind of how I probably, you know, start uh, thinking about an analysis and kind of building up a, an article that way. Has anything ever been Emma Hayes's fault, or is it 100% on the players who own their mistakes? I would say it's a bit of both. I, I, I can't, I can't, I, I'd say there is, uh, Emma Hayes can't be exempted from complete, um, you know, from complete blame for some things. I think, I think tactical switches mid game, uh, substitutions, the right substitutions at the right time, not leaving them too late. Uh, I think those are things that are under Emma Hayes's control to some extent. And sometimes it does come down to not making changes quick enough, early enough. Um, not changing things when they, you know, when quite obviously there is something not working. Um, I, I think those. I mean, I mean, it is one of those things where if it works, you're a genius. If it doesn't work, you're the villain. Uh, I, I do get that, but I think, yeah, I think there are times when you know you can tell that it's the players, but there are times when you know the manager has to has to take a decision and and, and sometimes change things when they're really not working and delaying things could be could be onto the manager. Not Dame Emma Hayes. The super mum. Um, would you love to meet her, by the way? Would you love to sit down and talk to her? Oh, I mean, absolutely, 100%. I would definitely love her. You know, even if I, I mean, I say I'd love even 15 minutes, but I probably think I'd, I'd go on for, for a couple of hours <laughs> and really just pick her brain on, uh, on on everything. But, yeah, I'd love to I'd love to have that conversation with her and, and, and just one day have a chat and see what it would be like to talk to Emma Hayes. As far as I can tell, this is the first book in the football library with the name Emma Hayes on it. Hope Powell has written her memoirs. Kelly Smith has written it. Um, Mark Sampson has not. Emma is one of the four, the greatest coaches in Britain. Every few months it's, well, why doesn't she leave Chelsea and go to the men's game? If Watford offered her the job, she would laugh in their face. She has got a job for life at Chelsea, just as she had a job for life at Arsenal before, if she so wanted it. Uh, but she knows that she's got to grow the women's game and a book like this helps to grow the sports. I have to follow along on Kuhn Abt and uh, I'll, I'll listen to the Box to Box WSL and London is Blue uh, and get the Pressing Matters substack and I will um, go back over this brilliant book. It's a step up even from uh, Queens of Europe, your first one, and Europe's next powerhouse, The Evolution of Chelsea Under Emma Hayes by Abdullah Abdullah. Uh, although helped by a cast of thousands um, of football analysts, are you preparing book three or are you taking a break now? I I think I might take a break. I've got a I've got a big project lined up for pressing matters for for 2022. That's that's taking shape. So um, you know I think I think that could really that could really go into something. So I think right now it's a, a little bit of a break on the book side and you know really focusing on on pressing matters and the podcasts. And I cannot wait to head to a game. Uh, if not the game, then to the fan park before it, because they're all on telly as England hosts the Women's Euros in July. And uh, make time for me amongst uh, all your chatter with Alexis and Jesse. And it'll be great to see you. 
Absolutely. Uh, as soon as I'm there, I'll be giving you a ring as soon as I'm down there. Just like the library! Just like the library! Just like the library!